0: name is Peter. And my name is Carl. And you're listening to Do You Even Lift, Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We deeply appreciate it. Today we're going to have a guest. His name is Kai. Introduce yourself to the people, Kai. How's it going? Cool. And so we're going to be talking about men as survivors of sexual assault. But before that, how you doing,
1: Carl? <laughs> I just... <laughs> Your your check-in voice is sultry. I'm 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 good. I uh, today has been a oh I mean, I guess maybe I shouldn't put this on the record, but I have I don't I haven't done a lick of work today. <laughs>
0: I mean, who's listening to this podcast? <laughs> yeah, nobody
1: listens to this anyway, but like... Um, <laughs> but, you know, what? I, I mean, work is relative. Like, I've been checking in with a lot of students today, and people have been going through a lot of stuff, and we've been processing, so it's not like I haven't been working, working. I was haven't been, uh, like, in front of a computer all day, which is really nice. So, how are you doing, Peter?
0: Yeah, that sounds nice. I'm sweaty and gross. Why? Uh, last night, I spent the night at my partner's place, and I have not showered since, so... I'm really gross and sweaty and I'm gonna go shower after this. But sorry, Kai. It's all good. I put on deodorant and a what? lot of um, I said sorry to Kai because I didn't sit next to you. I'll I put on a lot man. of deodorant and okay. um what's the thing called for men? It's not perfume. Cologne. Cologne. Got it. I did not put on X. Word. But I don't know, I'm kinda of tired. This semester is just sucky. Yeah, October needs to finish like today. Yeah. So I'm just holding out for fall break. That's where I'm at right now
1: word. So we're talking about men and survivors today, am I right? Correct. And let's talk a little bit about like why we asked Kai to join this discussion. I, well, you know what? Actually, Kai reached out to us is the story. And I was like, all right, cool. Here are some of the things that we want to talk about. And Kai was like, let's do this one. And so Kai, can you tell us a little bit about what identities are salient to you, your pronouns, and then why you were interested in this particular discussion?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, So my, I identify as a trans male who's um, bisexual, disabled, and a survivor. And um. I kind of like this topic because it's not really, um, talked about a lot in any like society that I, that I've been involved with. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of bring that to light and, um kind of tell my own story about it, I guess. For sure. So
1: with that said, we are talking about survivors and survivor stories and so one of the things is like take your time with this episode. There's no reason to have to force yourself to listen to it and make sure you have some self-care practices after or during.
0: Definitely. Self-care is very important. We're going to be talking about some heavy stuff, but it, it is pretty important that we are talking about this stuff. So if you do feel uncomfortable, I'd suggest leaning into it, but definitely don't push yourself.
1: I do often hear from many folks that we don't talk about men as survivors of sexual violence very often or don't or it's shut down or it's silenced. I'm I think it really depends. And I'm glad we're having this conversation because there's, there's a lot of nuances here that I think are important in the context of social justice for men who are survivors of sexual violence. And then there's also layers specifically for trans men in terms of when I think the violence has happened, because in Men in the Movement, we have a couple of trans men who talk about the kind of the difficulties of experiencing sexual violence before the transition and then going into a group and passing as a man who and doing things that are supposed to be like anti-violence work, right? So there's a bunch of nuances in here in terms of I think there's differences in men who are survivors of other men, men who are survivors of women. It's, It's all, I think, pretty nuanced, so hopefully we get to some of that.
0: Yeah, so to frame it, like Kai was saying, men as survivors of sexual assault is barely talked about at all during discussions about sexual assault. And just to drop some statistics, so one in six men will be victims of sexual assault and the highest risk period of that is before the 14th birthday. And one in two transgender individuals will be victims of sexual assault. And just to throw it out there, one in four women will be victims of sexual assault. And there's also a higher rate of depression and suicide with men as survivors of sexual assault.
2: So why do you think we don't talk about it, Carl? Or Kai or anyone? One <laughs> way in our universe. Yeah, sure. Um honestly I just feel like for me, um, it was just how I was raised. Like we don't talk about any like issues or anything kind of personal like that. And especially feel like it was in the family or anything, because the family is like your number one person to go to. And, uh, you just kind of have to be like that, that front of, um, there's nothing wrong in your family. And so if you actually show that, then that means that makes you, that makes you look weak. Mm-hmm. And especially when I was starting to transition and, um, hearing like, I got like the, the, the man talk. Um, wait, what's the man talk? Oh geez. Don't show your feelings. Like this is what you need to do. Like, uh, you need to learn how to take care of cars. Don't like (laughs) only go see romantic comedies. If you have a girlfriend and they really want to go see it, then that's just for like relationship points basically.
1: Wait, did someone sit you down and it was like the the (laughs) the birds and the bees version of transitioning?
2: Um, (laughs) I mean, it was more of like, oh, so you want to be a guy, then this is how you're going to act. Fascinating.
0: Okay. Okay. It's interesting how um cuz we were talking about this before your stepdad did this talk with yeah. you right yeah it's interesting that we all have different definitions of masculinity and now that you have transitioned it feels like he has a need to make you into like this very austere- this very stereotypical man and some of those ideals as we've talked before on the podcast are impossible to reach and actually put people in a box. Mm -hmm. So yeah, were there any like things that you got during the man talk that just kind of you thought would put you in a box or something like that?
2: Oh yeah, of course. I don't know. So like I, I still like um, picking, like, clothes that are, I guess you would call more feminine. It's just brighter colors than the normal, like, neutral colors that most men like to wear. And then also what came up a lot in that conversation is basically, like, the side of, like, relationships. So, like, when you're going to get married, when you're going to have find your wife or your girlfriend or anything. But, like, he never recognized that, like, oh, well, gender and sexuality is different. Right. And I'm I'm bisexual, so I might find a woman, I might find a man or maybe a non-binary person. It's Mm -hmm. just. Yeah, he never touched on that. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think what's important in that very direct teaching of what the man box is, is to go back to the question about why don't men necessarily talk about it or come forward. I think it gets tricky because it's easy to get into a victim blamey mindset when Mm -hmm. we're talking about how the man box, which is perpetuated and maintained by men is part of the cause for why men stay silent. You know what I mean? So it can easily be translated to, oh, if you're not doing something to work on your masculinity, that's why you're not coming forward. That's your fault for not talking about it. Like we get into really dangerous territory around that. So, I don't think men talking about their experiences with sexual violence is necessarily new, but it, it's not been in the open. You know what I mean? Like we haven't, we haven't spent the hours talking about what is it, what does it mean? How does it impact us? How does it make us feel? Because we're, we're still working on even being able to describe our feelings in the first place for the most part, for most men. And maybe especially for socially conscious men, it might even add layers of like shame and guilt because we know in this rape culture, in the system of patriarchy, we still have the power to come forward as survivors. It's it's a tough negotiation between my my experience as a survivor is very real and has value in the conversation in the entirety of the conversation surrounding sexual violence. But then am I taking away from the voices of marginalized folks at the same time? And and those are the things that we have to wrestle with when we talk about men as survivors. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's important to say
0: that if you are a man and a survivor, survivor, your experiences are still valid and you still should be able to receive the same amount of resources as any other identity. But I think what's interesting about the man box is that if you look at the man box from a very surface level perception, then you see that the man box subordinates every other group and it is used to make itself the dominant group and it is supported by the dominant identity. But also, if we take it one step further, we can also see that the man box harms the The men that are in it. Yes. And so I think what's really important within this discussion is that, yes, the man box is problematic and needs to be destroyed, and everyone needs to take certain steps in order to deal with their toxic masculinity. But we also can't frame men as survivors within the man box and just put them in the box and be like, well, you know, you're part of this horrible thing, and like your experiences are invalid due to you not being a part of other marginalized groups.
1: And I do think it's heightened for hetero men as well. Not to say that it's worse for hetero men. I'm just saying like the pressure of being heterosexual via the man box also might add another layer that prevents men from talking about it because 98% of perpetrators identify as men and that's regardless of the gender of the victim. And so those one in six men that we talked about earlier, 98% of their perpetrators are men. And there's a biochemical reaction sometimes where like men are hard when they're being raped. Men can ejaculate while they're being raped. And so it's really difficult, I think, for survivors who are men to reconcile like, wait, I put a whole lot of trust in my body. I know myself in ways um, that others don't. So when I had this experience and I basically got off, what does that mean for me? Who am I? And it really subverts and shakes men as survivors world in their relationship to the man box. Right. Like it is absolutely not OK to show any weakness or vulnerability in a stereotypically socialized way and admitting that you were powerless, that the the power of choice was taken away from you, that you had this experience and maybe there's a lot of internalized homophobia of like admitting that you were raped by another man might also be admitting that you're gay. Like we're not saying that it is, but that's what someone might think, right? So these are all the different complications, I think, barriers, if you will, for men to come forward as survivors of sexual assault.
0: Yeah, and I think it is very important to reiterate that rape and sexual assault is never about pleasure and it's always about power dynamics. For sure. So even if you did like get off or something while you were being assaulted, you have to understand that that action is never about like pleasure or the the thing sex was supposed to be used for. It's all about power and maintaining power over another person. I think there's also an interesting thing that Kai and I were talking about that there's a lot of phrases when it comes to men as being survivors. And one of them was guys just want to have sex. Kai, ha- have you experienced that within your journey through masculinity?
2: Yeah. Um, in my family that, um, it, <laughs> So I don't come from a very great family, but it, it's very conservative, one-sided. And I'm kind of like the sore thumb in the family, which I, I'm very proud for. because <laughs> <laughs> That's what's up. Oh, darn, I go to a liberal school. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, they say that. For the most part, like when I was when I was growing up, they said that it probably the woman's fault as well. It's probably she was wearing promiscuous clothing. Mm. Um, well, she didn't fight hard enough. So like she could have stopped. And also kind of um leading that towards like a male survivor, um, well, you're a guy, you're stronger than a woman, or you're stronger than you think you are. Why didn't she just stop? Or why didn't she just not have an erection like you were talking about? And I think the m- more of the focus was like how can like oh because it was a very one sided, like only heterosexual relationship thinking mm-hmm. Um, How can a woman be, or how can, yeah, how can a woman um, be a perpetrator?
1: Especially if there's a mentality that men are supposed to want it all the time, right? Um, So it's layered in the sense that men, I think, I believe, have difficulty supporting other men who are survivors of women who are perpetrators. Because there's kind of this, like, um, a confusion, I guess, around, like, how can it possibly be rape? Like, you got laid. Like, way to go, bro. You know, like, I, I think... This, again, is where we start getting into tricky waters around that's kind of the stuff that we've been supporting as young men and boys in society in terms of that's the attitude we want to teach young men and boys is that getting laid is is a good thing. And then and thus in a heterosexual context, rape by a woman is impossible. Again, that's a very difficult barrier to get through in terms of like fusion. Like, did I really want it? Did I actually like experience what I thought I experienced. And then when you add the layer of us as men, not supposed to be like emotional or in touch with our emotions, then like being a survivor will bring up a ton of emotions that we're maybe we're not used to processing or even thinking about. And so I'm not saying like it's harder for men to come forward as sexual assault victims than any other like identity. Like that's not the point of this particular conversation. The point here is to like name some of the barriers as it relates to societal expectations in order to get through them to encourage more men to come forward and talk about our experiences.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think we could even go into like mass media and how it's talked about there. Because I remember a while ago, Terry Crews came out as being a survivor of sexual assault and... You know, Terry Crews is like the biggest dude he of is all time. He's a beefcake, yeah. And, you know, he's you see him on Old Spice commercials and you're like, damn, that's a big freaking guy. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he came out and he said, like, obviously I could have, like, physically stopped it, but I felt like my career was in jeopardy and I f- didn't know how to stop it. And I, like, was in this situation that I've never been in. And he was a part of the Me Too movement. And then 50 Cent came out and said some pretty things about mm-hmm. terry cruz he's like you got raped by a woman like what a f-? and stuff like that and like why didn't you just like beat her up or something like you're like the biggest guy around and i think with that mentality we we have to understand that like the choice was taken away from terry cruz as is a lot of other men survivors and that there are different circumstances and it's not just about physical resistance because a lot of times in sexual assault cases, people just freeze up and they can't move and your brain just goes into survivor mode. You go catatonic and you can't fight back. And even if you could fight back, there's always this mentality of you've never been in this situation before and you don't know how to react. I think that also goes into one of our other podcasts about subtle masculinity where it's like, Oh, if I was there, I'd do this. And a lot a lot of dudes have that thing where it's like, well, if I was there, I'd beat the <laughs> out of woman." <laughs> and, and that voice. Yeah, that voice. We all know the <laughs> the voice. Everyone's like, Well, if I was being, you know, first off, they're putting themselves in a situation that nobody should ever be put in, which is f yep. but they're also like, Well, if I was in that experience, I would just, you know, slap her or like beat the out of her and I'm like, well, it's not it's not what it is. it's not it's not <laughs> like that and it's a lot more complicated.
1: This is where some of the master narrative if you will around what sexual assault is supposed to look like as like a violent physical act it starts to get dispelled in the sense of I don't think most of the way men become survivors particularly if women are the perpetrators is a violent act, right? It's much more pressure it's much more like subtle in the terms of the way men get manipulated into situations where they feel like they have to have sex to get out of it Mm -hmm. um especially if it's someone that you're in a relationship or like love like there's a potential there like why would you hit someone that you love you know like i think yeah the the reaction to be violent is so stereotypical like um and not surprising unfortunately and so when you try to fight an issue with the man box you see that it doesn't work that's why we got to destroy the damn thing i think too another layer to this In terms of at least us as men exercising social justice who are survivors of sexual assault where we live in a rape culture where like women's bodies and trans bodies um, and I'm I would argue like gay and queer bodies are perpetually under attack you know what I mean like someone who was raped as a child and as a it has a female body and then again in high school and then again in college has the continued threat for the rest of their lives in terms of rape and sexual assault. Whereas men don't necessarily have that, right? Like if it's a one time incident for us, it's most likely to be a one time incident for us.
0: Yeah. Um that doesn't mean to say that it doesn't happen to people right. multiple times, but yeah.
1: Again, it's another layer, I think. Social justice minded men kind of have to navigate in our stories of survivorhood or victimhood because You can often do damage by saying, "Hey, men get raped too." In a conversation about sexual assault, it's like that's 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 not helpful, in my opinion. And so, finding ways and finding maybe other men to really talk about what it means to be victims of sexual assault in the context of social justice is a is just a tremendously important conversation that we have to start initiating. And I'm hoping that a podcast like this can help us do that. Definitely,
2: yeah, I I feel the same exact way. I think the the best way to to help first is not necessarily to normalize that instance of it being okay to assault somebody, but to normalize that it is okay to be, to come out and ask for help mm-hmm. when needed. And um, yeah, I just feel that if a person that has a lot of privileges is afraid to even talk about being a survivor, about something happening to them, well, what does that put on a person that has an oppressed identity where they're already scared? are oppressed because of a certain identity and on top of that they're um are they are a survivor but they're afraid to talk about it so
0: yeah. and i think that's why as us dudes men in particular <laughs> need to come together to help each other with uh, emotional support because with instances like this a lot of people turn to their women friends specifically women of color they get a lot of just emotional labor put onto them and i think uh, i think this podcast and also places like men in the movement personally have helped me try to find a network of men that I can come to and be vulnerable with and not have any consequences with it and just, you know, talk through my problems and like talk through what I'm going through. And it's also a very safe place to come out as a victim or survivor. And so it's us men destroying the man box ourselves. And I think that's the responsibility that men have in social justice. So I've, um, transitioning a little bit, family is, you talked about this a little bit, Kai, how family is probably a lot of people's number one support system. And I know somebody in my life whose cousin was raped by their other cousin. And when she came out as a victim or survivor, the family completely broke apart and there were two different sides. So is there anything within your story, or if you just want to tell your story, that kind of brings that tension within the family element.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so from the time I was eight to the time I was, um, 13, um, I was sexually assaulted by my uncle. Um, he was only four years older than me. So it was kind of like, it was a little, um, hard to understand. Um, and I kept that secret until my freshman year of college. Um, your first semester of your freshman year, I, Most people know you have a lot of time to yourself in your dorm to think about things. And so just kept on like eating at me, eating at me. And so for my first fall break, I went home and I, um, I felt, um, like I needed to tell somebody and the first person that I went to was my mom. And so I told her what happened and she was just like distraught. She was shocked that I never can I'd never went to her. Um, she was my number one support for that. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, so when I told her that she went and she helped me and, um, Get therapy um, to just go through and process everything, so I could um, grow as that and to a better person, and get and not necessarily get over it, but be able to cope with it and grieve over it. Mm-hmm. Um, and during that process, my therapist said that since we were at a young age, um, she said that maybe I should go and talk to him because he was like, or my my uncle, um, because he let's see, at the time I was eight, so he was twelve. So like a 12 year old usually doesn't think about that. So something might've happened to him. So I I never really had that thought. So I was like, oh yeah, maybe I shouldn't. And so I went and I talked to him about it and um, he um, we kind of just got into this huge argument and he went and he told the rest of the family what I said. And um, he said that I lied. And so yeah, the whole entire family broke up. And so it was basically my mom and me and then the rest of the family was gone. Um, so that was really hard. Um, I lost, I thought I would have, a lot more support because, um, a few things like that have happened in my family before, but that actually didn't come up until it was like two years after I came out with my story or with what, with what happened to me. Um, yeah. And so I think, um, that was like the hardest part, um, with my transitioning, um, was I had, I am a survivor and a lot of the stigma around that transitioning, um, to trans male is that like, oh, well, it's like a mental health thing or Hmm. um a trauma led to that and so the first thing that my and i it's really hard to say but the first thing that my mom um said was like is it because you were sexually abused as a child do you think that being a woman is is like scary and like you don't want that to happen again so is that why you are wanting to transition as a male and i was that's that wasn't the case at all but that's actually seen a lot in society is that it's something around a specific trauma Mm. and yeah. So that's basically, thanks for sharing. Yeah, Of course. Thank you so much, Kai.
1: Yeah. I think the, I've heard, so one of the things that I've learned not to totally dismiss is like, it could be trauma. I think in almost a, a huge majority of cases, it's not the case where folks who identify as transgender transition because of trauma. Like, I don't think that's the majority of the case, and there may or may not be people where that's their truth. And so I do think it's important to dispel the myth that transgender folks exist because of mental illness. Like that's not that's I think that's still very much tied together. And so it's important for us as men in social justice to say that out loud. Like it's 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 still categorized as a mental illness. But like that's not the reason why people um, identify as transgender.
0: Yeah, definitely. And like the government still upholds that idea of it being a mental illness and you can see in the current administration that transgender individuals are getting less and less representation. Mm -hmm. So it is definitely up to us as men to, um,
1: CIS men, I think for the most part,
0: yeah, CIS men to raise awareness for this, but not step on the toes of the actual advocates and trailblazers for this type of movement, but supporting them in any way we can.
1: For sure. Kyle do you mind if I ask at what moments did you feel most supported and what was some of the ways that people supported you through your survivor identity?
2: Let's see. My mom was a huge support for me yeah as soon as I told her she didn't like second guess it or anything like that, she was like okay well this this probably this this you're saying it happened, so let's figure out how I can help you right then and there and I think that was the huge a huge thing because I've had a few friends where they have have come out to their families with um similar stories as to mine, and they're like, oh well you pr- you're too young, you didn't know what you' talking, what you're talking about or mm. this didn't really happen or they just blew it off, and they're still trying to cope as much as possible as they can without that type of support from their family and then um, I have um, a really great group of friends where if I am struggling with um, something I think it was uh, two years ago I was having some uh, flashbacks and PTSD around mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and it was it was a struggle I was uh struggle just to like get out of bed um, to, to explain like what I'm actually feeling and like for someone to actually understand like oh, it's not just because I'm just depressed or whatever. It's like, I literally just, I just can't get myself out of bed or I'm too afraid to go to this specific place because um, last time I went, I had a flashback and I had a panic attack to the point of like, I I dropped to the floor. Um, so having those friends like around me that like, if they if they knew I was having a really hard time, um, they would ask if I wanted to talk. And if I didn't want to talk, they they definitely um, let me be and they just, they, they helped me like get homework and stuff. Mm. Um, they drew, they drove me to case management to talk, to help uh, me with my classes. So I wasn't failing any classes and um, yeah, so they're just like basically my big support. They're like my family here that yes. I, done, I, I, I lost. So it was great. That's really awesome.
0: Are there any specific things that you do for self-care in regarding this situation?
2: Um, yeah. So early 2017 I had a really hard time with that and I actually went um and took some dbt and CB, CB dbt courses I don't know what that is oh okay so um <laughs> dbt it kind of just when you're um depressed um and you kind of just feel like life is hopeless and um it helps you learn these different skills oh, cool. to where you take the big picture and then you go out And you make it even bigger and then you make it into smaller portions. So you don't get overwhelmed. Um, You build more Uh self-confidence and you don't take it as a hit to you or you don't say like, it's all my fault because one of the things as a survivor, I felt that, Oh, well, something was wrong with me or something I did something wrong for it to happen to me. And so that type of course actually helps and it helps you like learn all these skills. And also some of the, the things that I helped that helped me were grounding skills. So if I was feeling like I was having a panic attack, um I knew how to like like touch a touch a wall or like mm. I'm here in this room, I'm not there. I have a a service animal now. Um, her name's Stella. She's with me right now. Actually, she's snoring. Great. <laughs> Such a um, cute dog for anyone who right. can't see. Ten yeah. out of ten, which is everyone. Yeah. Thank yeah. You, Peter. <laughs>
0: Great. God, so yeah. Don't um, roll your eyes at me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so yeah. Um, I, I I I take her on walks. Um, I love listening to music. I sing in my car, even though I'm probably really awful. But uh, <laughs> and I love drawing. Just like this past month, I've just started uh, drawing like comics and just about like some of the things that I've gone through through like growing up and then processing my transitioning and to where I am now. And that I feel like is very therapeutic for myself. Mm. So
1: I think self-care is a little different from like healing. And so has it, what has been like your process of healing?
2: Oh man, that has, it's still going on Yeah, and I definitely just have to take it day by day. Okay. And I think the biggest thing for me is just understanding that I was really young and it wasn't my fault and just learning how to like trust other people and how to talk about like if I'm not doing okay and really being honest with that because I kind of, from my family background, I just kind of used to hold everything in and Um, Then when I transitioned, I was taught to be the don't show any emotions guy. So kind of learning that, that it's okay to like express that you're not okay or you're down or you're depressed or you need help. I think that's like the big part of my healing. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Thanks again, Kai, for sharing your story. Um, We deeply appreciate it. And hopefully it jumpstarts and opens up other survivors to talk about what you experienced. So if you're a survivor out there listening, one of the things that we want to say as we at the Women and Gender Advocacy Center and Peter and I personally we believe you, you are not alone, and it definitely wasn't your fault.
0: And just to say it in my voice, I believe you, and it wasn't your fault. A cool acronym that you can use if you want to support survivors in your life, even if you are not a survivor, is the BEST acronym. And that is B-E-S-T, not the best of the best acronym. Um
1: <laughs> Coming from our mouths, this sounds like really competitive. Like these dudes thinks is the best way. Like, no, <laughs> this is developed by the Women and Gender Advocacy Center. Back off.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> so
1: B
0: stands for believe. So many survivors in their lives are constantly berated by people not believing them. So just saying I believe you is a huge step into gaining the survivor's trust and just making them sure that they feel safe within the scenario. Because if they do open up to you about that experience, take it as a huge privilege that they trust you enough to open up to you. So the best thing you can do
1: is believe them. (laughs) And a lot of studies and research have shown that if a survivor is believed from the onset versus when they're not, there's a huge difference. Someone who is believed is much more likely to seek resources and much more likely to report and much more likely... Likely to have a healthier healing process versus someone who isn't believed from the onset is most likely never to tell anyone about it again. So
0: be that resource. The E in best stands for
1: empower. I remember during
0: honors week a lot of people got the word encourage and empower confused. And so empower implies that you give options to the victim and survivor and you give them complete control of what they want to do. So if they want to report you help them report and maybe go to the police station with them. If they don't want to report do not force them to report because their power was taken away from them during sexual assault. So you, as the person supporting them, has to give them an option and give them control within the scenario.
1: And that can be from small things like, do you want me to open the blinds or close the blinds? Or do you want to meet in a public place or a private place to much bigger things? Like, what are your thoughts around telling your family? Or like, if you want, you know, we can go to the police station together. If you're not ready, that's totally cool, right? So giving... Uh, Lots of options. It's good.
0: And giving them an array of resources that they can tap into. The S stands for support as we've mentioned in this podcast and Kai touched on it, is that healing is a very extensive process and it does not have a timeline. The idea of just get over it, that is completely invalid because sexual assault and rape causes huge amounts of PTSD and triggering episodes for a lot of survivors that can continue throughout their entire life. So being a support system throughout that long period of time is very important and always being there for them is super Important word. And the T is take care of yourself. You are very important. And you have to make sure that you set boundaries with the victim and survivor because working with survivors and victims is a very emotionally intensive process. And what you need to understand is that you cannot take the entire burden for yourself. And so setting boundaries like saying, I can support you in these ways, but I cannot support you in these ways, and just respecting the survivor by being transparent with them with what you can do and what you can't do. Like, let's say I can support you in the way of like, I can take you out to drinks or like we can go out and have a fun night and forget about things for a while. But if we get into like, especially if you are a survivor yourself and you don't want to be triggered, be like, well, I can't talk about the details because I might be triggered too. Right. So taking care of yourself is very important. Kai and I and Carl have been talking about self-care Throughout this podcast and throughout all the other podcasts. So, there are definitely resources that you can go to to learn more about self care and taking care of yourself.
1: For immediate assistance, for those of you who are survivors, if you feel like you need to call someone at Colorado State University, we have the victim assistance team. The phone number there is 970 492 4242. For our national audience, if you will, RAIN, which is Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, has a hotline. It's 1 800 4673. For those of you who identify as LGBTQ, there are trained counselors for support 24-7 at the Trevor Project. The Trevor Lifeline, if you will, is 1-866-488-7386. And then sort of for long-term support for those of you who identify as men who are, uh, who have been sexually abused or assaulted, one in six dot org is a pretty awesome website in terms of getting information and other resources for support. Awesome.
0: And thank you to Kai for letting us know about that Trevor project. Yeah, no problem.
1: So, hard left, we have Trevor here. And one of the things Trevor. that we like, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> <It's not okay. laughs> uh, damn it. We have Kai here. Um, And One of the things that we feel is important as do you even lift bro is we talked about the man box a lot today. And one of the ways to shake that up is to have our guests talk about their journey through masculinity. So Kai, do you mind telling us a little bit about your journey through masculinities?
2: Yeah, I'll be excited about it actually. So, um, let's see here. I came out as a trans male when I was, uh, when I turned 22, it was a coming out day of 2017 or 2016. Really bad with dates. Anyways. (laughs) So, Before then, I was taught by my family, there's like all these specific... I guess you guys are using boxes, which is an awesome analogy. This is where you are. This is what women do. This is what boys do. This is what girls do. You don't mix and match or anything like that. And if you do, you're seen as a weaker kid or a very feminine boy. Um, Don't cry. Don't show emotion or anything like that. always kind of stood out from my family. Well, really bad, but it's I'm happy for it. So when I decided to transition and i told my stepdad and my mom my mom it took her a little bit to be supportive but she finally got on track and she's doing great with it she calls me by my preferred name and everything like that and my stepdad on the other hand uh his name could probably be a definition of toxic masculinity but (laughs) um Trying not to drag him or anything, but there's a few things that he does need to work on. So he sat me down and he basically said, if you're going to act like a man, if you, oh, no, I'm sorry, if you want to be a man, truly be a man, you need to do like a huge list. He gave me a huge list. I kind of like checked out after like the first five because I was like, <laughs> really? Um, he was, he kept on going back that I need to be with a straight cis woman. If he did say, if he found out that I was gay, that I would be disowned, but. I don't really, my mom wouldn't disown me anyway. She's, yeah. I actually talked to my mom about that and she was, I was like all ready to talk and be like, okay, so gender and sexuality are different. And she was like, no, I get it. Gender and sexuality is different. Yeah. I go, I was like, what? <laughs> okay. That's cool. I don't have to Mind give well. that lecture. Cool. Awesome. Um. So yeah. So he definitely doesn't understand that. So I'm never going to really come out sexually to him with that identity at all. And he said that i need to be great with cars um <laughs> uh you need to like make sure that you're fit enough to protect your woman at all times like if you're going to go outside in the dark with them i don't like I, all this random stuff like it didn't even make any sense sometimes and then he kind of just left it at that and i'm not the one to really be quiet and take a lot of things, just be like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. I should probably just like learn how to do that sometimes. But with this instance, I was like, um, no, um, <laughs> doesn't mean just because I like, I don't know how to lose a guy in 10 days. Doesn't mean that I'm less of a man or anything For like sure. that. I like romantic comedies. Like I always kind of try to not necessarily make it light or anything like that, but people would be like, oh, well you like romantic comedies or that's, that's like gay. I was like, well, if I get a girlfriend and she wants to go see a romantic comedy. I'm not going to be like struggling to get through it. So we're going to enjoy it at the same time. So (laughs) when I was still living there and it was before I came to CSU or before I came back, um, January after that first semester at CSU, I like to hang out with my mom because my mom and I were like our number one through me growing up because my mom divorced when I was four. So yeah, I basically do everything with her. She wanted to watch this movie. I guess it was like another romantic comedy. I don't know. I can't remember which one it was. Um, I like too many of them. It's fine. Um, <laughs> so my stepdad will just like walk in and be like, oh, that's really gay. I was like, um, what the f***? f- yeah. <laughs> and then like I would, um, I used to smoke cigarettes a lot. And I it, it even went down to like the point of like how you hold your cigarette is like, oh, you're holding it like a girl. Like, are you, I don't know if you're allowed to say it, but he called me the, the F word. You can say whatever oh, you want, yeah. it. He's like, are you f- I was like, no, um, what? what are you talking about? It, it like went from that to like the way I held my steering wheel when I drove to everything. I was like, okay, well, like if you want to be this, like, I don't know. So restrictive. S- restricted person to like, you can't even feel any emotion or anything like that. Then I don't even, I don't want to be the, the guy you're saying to, that you want me to be. And so kind of seeing like that side and then also, like the differences and like what I wanted to change is like kind of brought in like me being a, tr- I- I'd identifying as a trans male to like kind of break that toxic masculinity mm, mm-hmm. because like gender's a social construct <laughs> so it just frustrates me <laughs> so like when you say like clothes have gender like oh. oh if a guy if a guy wears makeup or paints his, his nails well, that's he's gay no i mean yep. like if you look back way way back in history like they actually used to wear pink because it was a very it was like a royal color it never really had any gender specific anything to like anything like that like guys back then used to wear dresses i mean it doesn't even like that doesn't even matter it doesn't define who you identify as and i don't know, yeah that's, that's just that's how i have dealt with that part so you'd
1: yeah. be great on our cheat days and ranting about like clothes. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, God, man. don't
2: even get me started on
1: clothes <laughs> yes.
0: uh, if you want to check out our cheat days there right? is one about clothes definitely word well thank you for sharing yeah, i of have course rapid fire questions can we do rapid fire questions
1: i mean there's no rush do you have any questions about this story itself or do you want to leave it hanging no i
0: really liked the story i think yeah. it's really interesting how your stepdad is basically the epitome of the man box
2: yeah and I right down
0: wanna... to holding de- cigarettes like that was weird yeah. like i smoke and i'm like what right
2: <laughs> Well, yeah, no, so it's like if it's closer to the, so it's like you have, if you're making like a peace sign with your fingers and you have the cigarette bud closer to the top of your fingers that that's like the sign of like a female smoking what so like so you can like fling your ri- i don't know he was what? he has he just goes off on these tangents of like this is why you're not acting like a man and then a lecture for two hours and i'm just sitting there like okay
1: i would love that list oh man. i would love like, that, give me list that list too. well
2: i'm going back for fall break so i'll just record something for you okay. so.
1: <laughs> perfect <laughs> awesome uh, Thank you for sharing, Kai. We really appreciate it. Do you okay. mind if we ask you some rapid-fire questions to get you to know you on a different level? Yeah. All right, I'll start. What's your favorite drink?
2: Oh, man, my favorite drink. Um, barks root beer.
1: Oh, man, after my heart. Yeah. So good.
2: So good. <laughs> yeah, someone was trying to tell me that, Uh, what was it, like mug is better than Barks? I was like, <laughs> get out now. We can't, <laughs> we, can't, we can't talk right now. Have you ever been to a concert? I have. What was your first concert? Oh, man. Okay, so my first concert, hmm. That's a hard one. So my first concert, I'll I'll, I'll bring up two. Um, My family is very religious, and so we used to go to this thing called um, Heaven Fest. So, um, yeah, I know. Okay, bear with me for a second. Oh, Um, we're bearing. Okay. So there's a lot of alternative bands that like they don't, they're not just like, hey, praise Jesus, hallelujah, everything like that. Um, they actually have like um a cool story behind them. Like for example, Skillet, Flyleaf, Evanescence, Breaking Benjamin. Yeah, okay. I used to listen to all those, and I actually saw a band called Red and Skillet for my first uh, my first concert, and then my first like mainstream concert. Um, my uh, uncle on my on my mom's side he had an extra ticket to go to see U two and mm-hmm. the Fray Ooh. during the world their three hundred and sixty world tour. Bangers, so I saw that one. Yeah, it was great.
1: Most exotic food you've ever eaten? Oh, man. is
2: that a little problematic?
1: What? Oh, we'll that- nah. <laughs> see. We'll see. We'll see what, we'll see what okay. Kai answers. It has. Uh, okay. <laughs> Pressure's no pressure on, on me. <laughs> um, because if you say a hamburger, I'd be like, all right, you're in. Well, no. okay. Fine, fine, Peter, you're right. Call me out. Okay, I'll change my question. Um,
2: <laughs> I've had a raw egg before. It was really weird. That's Ro- pretty exotic. A raw, well, uh, it was a raw quail egg on like some uh, some type of like salmon eggs. Uh, I was at the shark house. It was decent. It was just a really weird texture. Favorite uh, ocean. Favorite ocean. Oh, man. I was born in Hawaii and I lived there for four years, so I'm really bad at geography. Pacific. Sure. <laughs> Pacific is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've seen pictures and stuff like that, but I... <laughs> I I've also lived in Colorado for a while. So So you say you
0: draw comics. Do you have any favorite comics?
2: Oh, man. Yeah. Like that I've drawn or that I like to read? Oh, like to read. Oh, man. Yes. Uh, I like uh, anything to do with like Batman. I like Batman more for the um, villains, though. Interesting. Yes. Yes. Like the Joker and Harley Quinn. Batman is kind of like a piece
0: of white bread. Right. (laughs)
2: Yeah. And then I like the Walking Dead like series. Um, the bo- like, oh, it's a comic book. Yeah, they had. I didn't know that. Yeah, it no, came the out as a comic. Lit. Yeah, it's huh. a lot better than the <laughs> p- <in this> shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why well,
1: are you probably gonna know us? I don't even. Be- <laughs>
2: okay. right. What's your second favorite color? My second favorite color? Oh, man. Green? Okay. So convincing. What's your first favorite color? No. It's all, I didn't ask for the first. Oh, <laughs> I want to. <laughs> well, my favorite color has always been blue ever since I was like four or so. Word. Nice. Yeah. And uh, what kind of dog, is Stella? So they tried to tell me she was a German Shepherd mix, and that's not even close. So <laughs> we just call her a Brindle Aussie. I know she's a mix of some type of Australian Shepherd, and probably a of Blue Healer too but mm. her personality oh so she likes to play a lot but she'll box me she'll like punch me with her paws and so she has like <laughs> so if you look at her her body is more like muscular like a boxer's body but then she has the hair of like a Blue Healer or Australian Shepherd and then the brindle can come from the boxer and then she has like a Blue Healer face and so I have no I have no idea she's a mutt but she's great
1: she's beautiful Uh favorite kitchen appliance oh man blender blender perfect I'm done. You good? Yeah, I'm good too. Word. All right, guy. thank you so much for sharing, man. We really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on.
1: That will do it for this episode of Do you Even Lift, Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. If you have feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, or want to be interviewed for a podcast, please email WGAC at colostate.edu. That's WGAC at C O L O S T A T Huge shout out to the partnership between the Women and Gender Advocacy Center and KCSU here at Colorado State University. These are the folks that even allow this podcast to happen. For more content about masculinities, check out meninthemovement.blogspot.com. And for more information about the WGAC, go to WGAC.colostate.edu. For more 90.5 KCSU content, go to kcsufm.com. Music production by Xavier Hadley, a.k.a. Zavley. Check him out at soundcloud.com slash Hadley. That's X A B I E R H A D L E Y. Thanks for listening, anyone. Deuces. Woo!